Find easy ways to store your outdoor tools and accessories at Menards. Suncast provides high-quality and easy-to-assemble storage. Suncast storage sheds are the perfect solution for organizing and protecting your outdoor tools and equipment. Plus, their all-weather construction is low-maintenance. Explore all our outdoor storage options in-store and on Menards.com. And check out more of our great deals going on now at Menards. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Another episode of Film Study, Kent Music. We're here today to talk about a topic, obviously, we're not real crazy about talking about, is how to replace Earl Thomas. Joining me today, Dev Panchwa from RSR. How are you doing, Dev? I'm good, Ken. How are you? It's it's good to join you, but uh, I guess circumstances aren't <laughs> the best. <laughs> yep, it's been a bummer couple of days trying to figure out what was going to happen here, and uh, and you know this is something uh, you know I'm sure neither of us wanted to talk about. You probably remember Dev. He wrote the Battle Plans series on RSR for many years. Now, what are you working on now, Dev, uh, over there? Yeah, so there's um, some th- I think coming up in the season, um, Hot Take Tuesday. I'm going to contribute to that uh, column, so it's going to be a rotation. We're still figuring out, you know, the schedule on that, and then some special projects are still uh, on my radar. Nothing at the moment, but that's something to, for people to look out for as the season progresses. Usually, I'll have. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, going back a couple of years, I wrote a piece about Earl Thomas and all the different things he brings to the table from an ex, uh, from a uh, coverage standpoint, and all the different places he can kind of influence coverage. <laughs> so that's the type of piece fans can look out for as we get deeper into the season. Um, just kind of player profiles or, or or different X's and O's pieces. All right, so. Today we're going to talk about the play side. Now there'll be another podcast that should be out there with this one, hopefully posted the same day or a little bit earlier, with Brian McFarland, where we went very deep into the various components of the cap implications of this cut. But this really is going to be about the play side. I know a lot of people. This is the side they're really interested in anyway. You know, how are the Ravens going to adapt in his absence, and what options do they have? particularly in the back end, I would say, is the bigger question. Yeah, I think that that's a huge question mark at this point. There's nobody um, that is immediately going to be able to jump into this into this role. And I think, of course, 
You also look at the planning that comes into going into the season, which you had in mind. Um, this is late in the game in the offseason. Um, it's a jarring move. Usually you don't see this happen, especially with contenders. Um, but it's not to say it's never happened before. I mean, I, I think the, the, one of the first examples I thought of, and there was a difference in the in the type of move, but it was the Patriots when they traded Laura Malloy, I think, years ago. Uh, and that was right before a season in which they won 14 games and won their second championship, I think. So obviously those are different circumstances, but some teams are just built to be able to, to kind of, um, to be able to, uh, overcome something like this and then kind of just actually use it as motivation. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, like this is a pretty ma- massive, um, I guess, uh, pivot for the Ravens here. Yeah, so structural changes and comparing great system teams like the Patriots have been is probably not incorrect with the Ravens. The Ravens proved last year they can really do a lot on defense with not a lot of talent. And, and yeah. you know, it's not that they didn't have some talent at some positions, but they certainly were very short on talent at inside linebacker, setting the edge on the defensive line for parts of the year in terms of stopping the run. They had a lot of problems they solved on the fly, a lot of depth issues at cornerback, right. frankly. That's a great point, actually, Ken, because if you think about it, because of that, there's, there is a, a level, I think, of confidence with this coaching staff that defensively they can adapt and they can shift guys in, in the lineup. They can rotate and they can bring in new players. They can pick up the playbook if they're smart, if they're able to, uh, I think, with, with their football acumen, they can come in. And so... Uh, I know in the defensive backfield, they've got guys that can do that. They're young, but I, I just feel when you look at the, com- the a composition of those guys as football players, as, as smart players, uh, maybe they feel between those young guys and the corners that are so good already that they can really overcome this. Um, and I think just like to your point, they've already proven that they can adapt on the fly between the staff and the players. You mentioned the youth at safety in particular. I want to I want to start with that because I think that one of the storylines of the Ravens at safety going back to the last year of Weddle was they're incredibly old at the position to have Weddle and Jefferson and Levine be their three key safeties, including the dime that they were using. And then they they got younger with the injury to Jefferson, not the way you want to get younger. But then the guy who stepped in ended up being one of the best players on the entire defense in terms of Chuck Clark. Right, exactly. So that's a great example of someone who they knew had shown the signs in practice, had shown the signs in the locker room, had shown the signs in meetings. He seemed um, like a guy that was su- supremely bright and had um, un- you know, a great understanding of the defense. He just needed the chance to play. Uh, he needed the opportunity. He got that opportunity, and then he ran with it and never gave it back. So um, he's obviously the most cerebral guy in in that group and if not the entire secondary which is saying something which is a secondary right now that i mean even minus earl thomas that's loaded with two all pros at cornerback right so that that gives i think and that should give fans some some confidence just to feel like the leader of the group really is chuck clark and even Earl oh yeah himself said that like uh, said that last um year right he <laughs> just the fact that he, he'd been in the league 10 years, but Clark had already mastered the defense and was, was teaching him. So uh, I think what he said actually last year was that, I don't know why they signed me. They already had Chuck Clark. The, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he said. And, and so I, I didn't think it was really a one for one thing because of the free safety component, but mm-hmm. you bring in a veteran like that. There's always a chance you're bringing in the wrong type of leadership, which seems to have been the case here with Earl Thomas you know, uh, first of all, I'm not sure that leadership is really the right word to be skipping a lot of meetings. That's obviously not a good thing. Yeah. It, it is something I remember Harbaugh saying about his first year coaching the league, or it might have been his second. That was his first. Ed Reed, um, the comment he made about him was that he practices when he wants to practice. Well, you know, that he might have been holding himself out more than Harbaugh was thought appropriate. Of course, Harbaugh, Reed didn't need to learn a lot more about how to play defense within the Ravens scheme or in general. Um, It's what he did. But but Harbaugh kind of picked on him a little bit in what was a a public setting. This is a corporate event held at the castle each year. 
where, where you know basically right. told some people about this. And I, I don't like this is a, it's a little bit odd thing to be saying, but uh, you know it's it's one of those things that you know Ed Reed probably did some of the things that Earl Thomas has, has done in terms of not necessarily wanting to be on the practice field every day and this and that, but but then I'm sure he didn't do all the things <laughs> right. that Earl Thomas said. He certainly didn't post video of, of uh, practice and whatnot. Oh, yeah, I think that's where there's there's maybe just that um, almost like sanct- sanctity of locker room. I think that Earl, I mean, uh, Ed had... They, 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 you know, he had the, the, the defensive backs and all the other guys, they, they, they loved him. Right. So he was, but yeah, I mean, there's other elements, right. You don't, you don't, I guess, cross some boundaries with posting feed from a practice, which could compromise competitive uh, elements of the Rams are trying to protect uh, with their, with their, you know, play designs, things like that. Um, he seemed like a guy that would, and maybe Ed did some of this too, right. Like he said some stuff that was, um, either irrational or kind of out of line, but I think the way Earl has done it is a little bit more out of his own self-interest. Uh, I don't think right. I think Ed is. I don't think Ed ever really did it because it was a self-interest more than I think he just kind of didn't have common sense sometimes. Um, as, kind of much yeah. to the beat of a different drummer, but yeah. not in a, not in a malicious way. And yeah. just a yeah. I, I totally think that's the case, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fair point. It's, it's funny because if you think of Earl Thomas's game, it's a lot of gambling at times he goes off of what he sees. He's got tremendous, incredible instincts. Uh, so that's part of the same thing Ed had. And, and they both obviously had um, a number of interceptions, but Ed, Ed's, Ed's on another level, but yeah, I think there's some viable comparisons, but obviously with Earl, uh, the big thing is he, he just didn't have the, he didn't get along with the guys, the guys that want to play with him. Yeah. That's also a huge component where Ed is the complete opposite. Everybody followed him wherever he went. We talked a little bit on the on the show with Brian about you know what they might have gotten in terms of documentation from the players or if they're going to need you know testimony and whatnot. I kind of want to leave that alone and just look forward to what the Ravens have to do here in terms of of personnel. Yeah, absolutely. So the other young player I want to talk about, which is going to be exciting now because he's going to get a chance, I would think, right away, is Deshaun Elliott. Six-round pick a couple of years ago, been hurt, missed most of his first two years. But last year he was healthy for about six games, and the Ravens were really unable to fit him in more than a handful of snaps you know, on defense, despite a guy who really has shown a lot in the preseason. Yeah, that's the thing. Preseason made a ton of plays, has stood out flying all over the field uh, is a better, I think, guy going going forward than he is backwards. That being said, we saw him make plays, and that's what he, his reputation was coming out of college. So I was excited when they drafted him. I thought he would be the the, the heir apparent to Eric Weddle, and I know they already had Tony Jefferson, so you kind of had to figure out where was this guy going to fit in with those guys, and then eventually they got Earl Thomas. But I think, to your point, um, he's someone that had – has had you know the opportunity or he's he's really had the promise i should say to be a starter uh they just have had other guys in front of him and he just hasn't stayed healthy but i love his game actually his physical ability um kind of reminds me uh, and and again not at the lofty elements but if you think about some of the things that like a tyron matthew or jamal adams like just the versatility derwin james yeah derwin james like he can be that and I think we've even alluded to that in our pod when we talked about Jamal Adams. And he's got those elements in his game. He can play different, you know, you can move him around. But to your point, the tricky thing was getting him snaps when you have so many other guys. Now, right. all of a sudden, things open up tremendously for him. And I wonder what you think about him with Chuck Clark, because um, to that, to this level, I mean, Chuck Clark kind of manned more of that that inside position. So how do those guys play together? Okay, let me let me let me go into that a little bit because a lot to react to there. Um, but anyway, for, for starters, Deshaun Elliott coming out of school from Texas was a guy that there was very split opinion on whether he was a free safety or a strong safety, whether he had the range to play free safety, had a lot of interceptions, or whether he really needed to use his physical presence more in the box and was was going to be more lost on the back end and whatnot. I personally have seen enough from the preseason 
to say he has earned the right to fail on the back end as a true free safety. Give him the chance. We'll see if it works out. It might not. But I think he's at least got the ability to play split safety in the dime, the second half of the back end, uh, you know, but not necessarily be the guy they rely on as a, as a single high. Um, Clark, I think, is is going to be a strong safety slash dime back. And I think that's where it makes the most sense for him to be to call defensive signals is really close yeah. to the line of scrimmage. Got it. Yeah. So there you, there, there you go. I think it's 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 not going to be the traditional setup that they had with their own Thomas now. It's going to have to be uh, more mixing and matching of coverages in which I think Elliot can do some of the high, single high, but I don't know that they can necessarily just go. And not to say they did that with Earl Thomas either. It wasn't like what Earl Thomas did mm-hmm. in Seattle where he just played single high the entire time. Mm-hmm. They didn't move him around. So I think they can take pieces of what um, Earl Thomas did and then kind of move that over to the group now and then I think you'll have to do some mixing and matching, but that's good to hear that Deshaun Elliott could play some of that. And I know we, we talked about it, that he could fill some of that free safety role, the traditional free safety role, but it's not something he can just be like, you can't just put him in that role and then just say, forget it. That's, and that's also not even playing to his strengths really. Um, So yeah, I mean, the range seems like he's got better range, uh, but uh, I think he is more of a, a guy that you want to kind of move around all over the place to get the best out of him. So uh, he's going to be asked now to, to wear that hat a little bit more than you would have expected, though. Yeah, a lot of that is Martindale's scheme anyway. I mean, I, I hate it when safeties have non-defined roles, frankly. I, I hate it when it, when they put, pretend like everybody can be everything. That may be more the case because you've got a lot of strong safety types on the field together. And you, and you don't. But when they when they had, for instance, Weddle and Jefferson, and they were trying to, you know, say, well, anybody can be deep or shallow on a play. Well, that's just it. Just didn't play to the strengths of either player to change that relationship. Yeah. And, and so right. here, I, I am thinking the, the the Ravens with um, uh, Earl Thomas last year blitzed a lot. But that's the nature of Martindale's scheme is that he wants to he wants to have a lot of different players who can rush the passer, and that I'm okay with. Yeah, and I think the other flip side is you have you, you just revert back now to playing more island coverage where and zero co- you know you have your zero cover uh, cover scenarios and you just have your safeties rotate and maybe they pick up um, some buzz coverage underneath and they take out take on the like take take certain windows away uh, intermediately but then deep you don't necessarily, you kind of just roll the, the dice sometimes or do it more often. Um, that's try, try and get that, home with the pass rush. Yeah, try to get home with the pass rush. Say, we got Peters and Humphrey on the outside, so you know what? Let's just uh, keep our safeties in deep to interme- uh, intermediate deep areas, but if, as far as the deepest of the deep, we may not play that as much. I mean, th- they'll still play it, but if you're, you're, you're worried about mistakes being made on the on on those coverages maybe that's the safer way to go and i think there had there was a lot of thinking and planning going into this into this decision they're uniquely positioned because of their cornerbacks being so good on the outside and on and one-on-one coverage that they might be able to do more of that and, and get away with it yeah and i i think that's got to be kind of part of the plan let's continue working through some players here that might be part of this solution geno stone a seventh round pick this year the darling of pff they had him as a i think for the 53rd best player in the entire draft or something ended yeah. up getting taken in the, in the seventh round um you know he's a he's a free safety by trade or by by college reputation one of the things that that the you know various scouts have looked at him is that he makes reads and he plays his reads, which I like if he's got the speed of the NFL game ready to go there. And I think that, that you know when I looked at him, I think he can easily play the back end of a cover two dime defense. I'm not sure if he's a really ideal single high guy. I agree. Um, everything I've read again, just that's all I can go off of is similar in the scouting reports that he's an ideal zone cover two type safety. He can play the halves. He doesn't have the range. He doesn't have the speed to play single high. 
uh, as much so. So he's smart. He's very smart. And that's another great thing that you have to feel good about. I think all three guys, Elliot, Clark, we already know, but they're all young, right? So they're kind of in the same boat. Like just the idea that you have three smart players on the back, on the back end. Uh, Stone has, has, has a very good reputation for that being in the right spots. So they feel, they may feel like they have something to work with. Um, so that he can evolve into that type of the safety. And perhaps, uh, again, it's going to be rotational, so they could they could do some things where they mix and match, and maybe he'll be in that spot. But you don't want him to play that position every down. I do like the makeup that he has. Like you said, pro football focus loves him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see him definitely getting some snaps and getting some, some, uh, some play. Well, there's, but, a, there's a there's really a huge position in there. There's 42.2% of the snaps last year they played Don. So yeah, there is yeah. a need for a third safe to be on the field. Essentially, yeah. it's a deep safety a lot of the time, and Stone could easily fit there. I mean, I'm looking at mm-hmm. it and saying there's just an enormous opportunity here for young safeties on this team to really step forward. Yeah, and on the flip side, what you end up having, happening is because Earl Thomas is going to dominate the snaps, he's going to play every down. And you can look at it that that's a positive, right? Like you have a go-to guy that can play every Mm -hmm. down. You don't have to worry about it. The other side of it is you have a guy like Wink, who's a science, you know, crazy scientist who might be able to benefit from being able to disguise more. If he has three safeties, like you said, on the field at once, and you don't know who the real free safety is in that scenario, who is actually going to be the deep safety. So you, so, so you can do more with that. I think with, with Thurl Thomas, they did a good job of moving him around, but uh, and they blitzed him quite often. They did do some some rotation, but this is a total mystery right now. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's nice to have that. And Elliot and Stone are back end safeties, and a true single high safety is kind of a it's kind of an odd bird because even Ed Reed, you know, with great instincts and whatnot, has to basically act like a soccer goalie if he wants to get to routes outside the number if he's playing in the middle of the field to start with he's got a I, I, sorry a soccer goalie defending a penalty kick they make that yeah. clear so he has to you know basically diving all out for one side and give up the other yeah. in order to do that and yeah. you know he wants to have read steps he wants to take a r-e-a-d steps in this case and not r-e-e-d steps that, that he wants to make a decision on where he's going and and that's much harder from single high. Your best chance to impact the play is to not let the linebackers in front of you let you down in terms of their zone coverage responsibilities. That's exactly it. So now um, you you have to yeah exactly you 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 know so it, I feel like in terms of the opportunities there maybe the setup is a little bit more like you just play your keys uh, for whoever's out, whoever's back there if they have these. Uh, different alignments but if you're a stone for example if you know stone if he gets those opportunities maybe it gets back to the credo that bill belichick has just play your your you know just do your job just play that role maybe there's like less on his on his plate and that'll make things easier um especially you know you can kind of spread your coverage like you said you can spread your coverage and put more of the linebackers up front or put more of the zone coverage up front in front of them all right, so three safeties, I, I'm not sure how our old Clark is right now. It might be 25, it might be 26, but three young safeties are the apparent three guys they may depend more on. But there's a few other names in, in the bin here. Anthony Levine had the greatest season ever by a Ravens dime back in 2018. I've mentioned that a number of times, only to probably be slightly bested in terms of the play of Chuck Clark last year as a dime back. It wasn't all the snaps, but it was more snaps. Levine had more big plays. You could make an argument either way, but Levine and Clark had the two best years ever by Ravens dime back. And Levine kind of got pushed out of the role by the combination of Clark playing dime and Carr being brought in to play that deep safety role uh, that you know, we're kind of projecting to stone here this year. Right. So then the, the question is, uh, I don't know. So Levine, it just seems like his range is really best suited in that intermediate area mm-hmm. and the versatility that he has. And I think the, the instincts all kind of fit in that range. Can he go, can he play more center field? Can he play single high? Can he be out there in deep, deep coverage? Um, I have, I haven't seen enough of that 
and I don't think I think it could be a fish out of water doing that too much. Oh yeah, I mean, I, yeah, he's so. his dime roll in recent years has definitely been a short middle zone dime roll, and right. he's almost like Ray Lewis. His instincts are tremendous in terms of reading the passer, and and you know reading the routes probably as well. But I think it's more really even in his case reading the passer and getting into the passing lane and being disruptive that way. Uh, his his year in 2018 was a thing of beauty at three drive-ending passes defensed in the fourth quarter of the game at Pittsburgh. They won. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a that was a thing of beauty. Uh, he he went on. He had sacks. He did, he did a little bit of everything that year, and it just made you realize that this guy is now 32 years old or whatever he is. But he really lost a lot of the prime of his career to the fact that Dean Pease was here, and he's played 100, right. 112 straight games with Dean Pease hated the dime. And and he yeah. didn't really ever want to play safeties as a replacement for linebackers for whatever reason. Well, do you see a scenario if they play Levine more, they they, they have Chuck Clark playing deep more, and they, they kind of – I think everything's on the table right now, but maybe yes. that's another way to kind of get the most out of those two guys in obviously spurts, not consistently, but there's going to be packages where those guys play together at the same time and then – Maybe that's on the table now. I mean, if either of these guys, if either Elliott or Stone were to not perform, get blow some coverages, not show to not have the speed, get hurt. I mean, all those are possibilities. I think Levine probably goes back to being the dime back and you end up with Clark back as a deep safety. Right. Um, it's it's a uh, it's a solution that makes a lot of sense. And I, Levine has been very versatile over his many years with the Ravens at playing other positions. He's played slot corner. I believe he's even played a few snaps on the outside. But he really... Uh, at this point, I think he's purely a dime back if he's going to be in there on defense. I agree. And I think that's his best suited position. Like you said, he's really uh, got terrific break on the ball kind of instincts. And he he just understands those. He understands that like short intermediate area really well. And, and he could kind of take on backs and tight ends here and there. But it's it's, it's where he's really shined the most and i think you know he found his niche in the defense so you don't want to necessarily mess with that too much but it's nice to know that you have a guy that potentially could play a little bit more and then maybe you move clark deeper like you said that's a great point maybe that's a fallback option and that's an easier fallback option you don't want to go with the young guys if, if you give them the chance and they falter then you have something you can fall back on now they have another guy that they've talked about all offseason. They may or may not be be really planning on doing this, but Jimmy Smith is the fourth cornerback on this team, and I think that's an awfully important role to be a good boundary cornerback and be the fourth guy up at cornerback, which takes three positions, let's face it. Um, but he could also be used at safety, or at least there's been talk about it this year. Yeah, and that's coming out more and more through training camp. Uh, they had the practice at the stadium uh, and he had had some reps at safety. Uh, they aren't trying to tip their hand on this, but it's, it's hard to keep that buttoned up as you start to have more coverage uh, around the team and the practices. So I think it's pretty clear that he's going to get some snaps at safety. Uh, this situation I think has opened up the chance that he'll get some more free safety. Now, one thing I've seen out of Jimmy Smith when they've had multiple, like you said, three to four corners on the field, he's done high-low coverage, um, inverted coverage, right? So he'll, he, there's been times when he's played that safety kind of role. He inverts the coverage with the under the corner, whoever that is. Um, and for people that are listening, inverted meaning all of a sudden, you know, you have two corners on the same side. So one of them has to play a deeper safety role. Right. And he's done that. Uh, so... Now, the question is, getting back to single high, can he handle something a little bit more complex? Um, I think you can do some of that. Maybe you can do it in the cover three, yeah. and then you you have a little bit more protection, right, with the guys that are playing right in front of him. So he's not necessarily put in a situation where he's necessarily covering, um, totally covering, like, two halves of the field. It's split a little bit more, uh, or quarters. So I think those are different coverages you can play where, He's not as exposed. I think he's got the 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 the, inst- the the smarts to do it, and it just makes a natural it makes natural sense for him to have more snaps there. It's very intriguing to me, um, and he'll get the opportunity, I'm sure. 
and this is, all gets back to the fact that there's going to be a lot of different guys <laughs> in this role. Um, but I, I really like the idea of it, and I think they wouldn't have brought him back unless they saw something to the fact that they could play him some at, at safety. It's possible. I'm just I'm I am I'm not as keen on the idea as a lot of other people seem to be. Is that I I think putting your fourth cornerback in there at safety is a big risk. I think there's a good chance Elliott would be the better player at free safety. But there's a, there's, oh, a, yeah. there's a very high probability he's the safer player at free safety, meaning safer in terms of not risking multiple positions of injury. Yeah, I agree. I mean, ideally, Elliott's the guy that gets the majority of the snaps. I think there's some special scenarios where maybe Jimmy Smith is a safety because, again, you have maybe you, you just have a situation where he gets to play safety. They have Tavon, uh, Marlon, and Peter's obviously on the field all at once, mm-hmm. and then you keep Chuck Clark on the field. So that could that could be the situation, right? And they they don't play a dime, uh, but that's what I, I could Or it's see a four-corner dime. Yeah, or that. That that too, it's there's so many variables and, and it's, it's really cool that <laughs> this 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 defense is one of the more multiple defenses with the secondary in particular. So that we can see, I do see it expanding a bit. I could see him playing maybe I don't know three four snaps a game. Maybe that's too high. Three two four. Three to four. Okay. As as a safety as opposed to as, as a, a corner because you might get rotational corner play as well. Yeah, just possible. safety, just safety. Yeah, corner he'll get more uh, snaps, but that could happen. I mean, three three to four snaps is not a particularly significant commitment. They played 21 snaps of four corner dime last year, so 19 in the Arizona game, two others in week. I don't know. They were done with it by week six. So it might have been in week six. They played the last of that uh, that four corner uh, arrangement. But the, Arizona's personnel being 10 personnel led that to being a very natural thing. So if you've got teams mm-hmm. that will spread four wide, it makes more sense to get Jimmy on the field as a fourth corner and play two safeties in, in your dime package. And that was also when Carr was was so Carr could play and he can move to that safety role as well. Right. So. Yeah. And they use them. I think they utilized them that way. So it makes sense in those situations. The Chiefs, for example, you you play the Chiefs maybe with those with the with the four corner dime, and you could do that. I think because they present at minimum. Well, they do present four guys with Kelsey because Kelsey's a receiver, and you got Hardman and you got Watkins and you got Hill. So all of a sudden, that's that's tough to defend. Without four corners, I think so. Um, yeah, and I, I think the the other caveat here, um, which we may touch on a little bit too, is how much does how much more trust do you have in the linebackers in coverage too, or the ability to yeah. cover more range with Queen? I know he's gotten some dings so far with his coverage in camp, but I'm not putting much stock into that. I think that's something that could be resolved. But physically, he can cover more ground. Uh, he's a rookie, though, so that mm-hmm. that has to kind of play out. But if you have a guy that can cover more range, then that also helps you. At li- specifically, a linebacker, that helps tremendously, too. Yeah, it's obviously that's going to be a big concern is how the other position groups will be impacted by the play of the safeties. That's a very, very big thing. Let's leave that for just a little bit later. I, I, I want to talk about some of the other players that could be talked about. Brandon Carr's name has come up again. Probably a vet men signing at this point. Uh, is he somebody you think could fill a lot of the open needs? Because you know, one of the other ones that I see is at slot corner. The Ravens don't really have a legitimate backup at this point. That's a great point, actually. That's a very underrated place, and he could do that. He's gotten he's got the unique experience to do both. I think he's the first guy I would call and bring in. He makes the most sense because he's got, this, like you said, he's, he brings both things to the table. Um, stability, veteran presence who got the reps and really comes in at a handy time that he played some some safety. So I think he's a natural guy that I would turn to um, and I think would be cost effective. I don't think you're bringing him in for much, if not even just the vet minimum. And it's pretty easy to convince him if he doesn't want to retire, he's got a legitimate shot here <laughs> to win a ring, which he had, he was close to last year. Right. So I think he's the best, most sensible 
guy to bring in. He he's already got everything down pat. He's so smart. He's durable. And he, he fits in great with the guys in the team, right? And I think he's versatile and again just adds a lot to the table. So um I'm all for him coming back. I think that would be a a great move. Yeah. I, I was one of the things I was surprised about Carr's play last year, and obviously he's, he showed some slowing down in coverage, but Carr was asked to play in the slot a lot. He's also asked to play outside early in the season. The Ravens had a lot of problems early in the year keeping their safeties, so keeping their cornerbacks healthy. They didn't have Peters. They didn't have Smith early in the season, so Averett was getting a lot of playing time. They had um, it's kick returner Jones, Cyrus Jones in the slot start the year i remember that. i mean that's just that's that's really taking some chances with things but brandon carr kept you know puttering along he obviously was having to take on the best receiver uh early on in the league some of the time if they were only playing sides and humphrey wasn't chasing and what i was really impressed on was he moved to the slot he was became a much he's much more physical presence than what i had originally looked at on tape from his time at dallas very much avoiding contact guy Long consecutive game streak, and you could kind of map that to a uh, selective physicality that we've also seen from Peters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, he surprised me just in terms of uh, the, the ability to to pivot and play to slot for mm-hmm. for the sake of it. I think it speaks to he's got the he's got some great. I mean, physical tools. He's a physical corner. Gets his hands on guys. It's tough. Um, he understands his technique, but I think it also speaks to um, just his understanding of routes and, and just kind of, again, he's, he's a very cerebral player. So I think that you have to be that to be able to mix and match with those positions when the physical makeup clearly shows that outside he's an outside corner all the way. So, um, but yeah, I, I think he's got, he's got a lot of tools in his toolbox and he can, do a lot of things depth-wise, too. Even if you just look at this from a pure depth move, you lose a guy like Earl Thomas. You have young players like Deshaun Elliott who's been, who's, who hasn't been able to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Gino, Gino Stone's a seventh-round pick. Hey, just having Brandon Carr on the, on the, on the roster, uh, I think just from a depth standpoint, is, is, is beneficial. Yeah, might be maybe even from a mentor standpoint as well. We've seen good things from Campbell. Thomas did not appear to be that guy. From you know, from no. all things. I mean, did not be a natural mentor, and maybe there are a lot. You know, a lot of players, you know, might not be. I don't know if Pernell McPhee is. Honestly, he seems to be a very affable guy, a very likable guy. But on the other hand, you know, I didn't see Ferguson changing, or I didn't see you know his arm around Ferguson all of last year either, when they were together to try and help him, you know, up his game. Yeah, you know, it could that could be Ferguson's problem too. Who knows? I I just and and it might have been happening behind the scenes for all I know. You know, I'm certainly not privy to all that, but, you know, it's just so apparent in everything they're doing with Campbell in terms of the videos that you wonder, you know, was it there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think he's going to infuse tremendous leadership and that could also have played into the move. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we're reading too much into it. But if you think about just having a guy like that, a presence like that, and then kind of like the opposite of that is what what Earl Thomas was bringing to the table you also compounded by saying, you know, he's not showing a good example in the in the film room. He's just showing up late to meetings. He's not really putting the effort in. On the flip side, I guess getting back to Deshaun Elliott, what you have to like is he's universally been lauded by his teammates. Everybody keeps saying, give this guy a chance. He's going to play well. He's been given high praise um, across the board for being a great teammate and just being, uh, I think, kind of having his head into the playbook. He's a smart guy. Um, seems to be a football junkie. So um, that doesn't translate to say that that doesn't mean that the guy's going to be a good player. We, we, we see that Earl Thomas is going to be going to the Hall of Fame or Hall of Fame one day. And mm-hmm. he wasn't necessarily like a student of the game. Right. But I'm just saying <laughs> that, you know, it, it's something to keep in mind with Deshaun Elliott. If he does play well, he wants it. He's got that uh, going for him. His teammates, truly think he's going to bring that to the table. So it could be addition by subtraction in that sense. Yeah. I very. It's still, I look at it in a lot of ways as an opportunity. I mean, the 2019 Ravens before the season started, I mean, they lost so many players defensively. There's a lot of fear 
uh, going into that season that, that the Ravens just, you know, couldn't feel a starting lineup anymore with the loss of Mosley and, and all the others. They lost, who did they else? They lose Brent Urban. Zedaria Smith, Smith, right. Urban was one of the guys. Yeah. Very under the radar. Weddle, of course they got rid of, um, yeah, no, who, who else are we missing? I know there's another fourth guy in that. I mean, Jimmy Smith was lost for the first half of the season, but that didn't happen until the first game. So, uh, yeah, in, in any case, there was a lot of fear of that. And, you know, you look back at Ravens history, they've been remarkably good at picking up and moving on to the next set of great defenders, particularly after the 0-2 purge. Uh, you know, they, they, that whole bunch of young players got a chance, and then they were okay that year, not great. And then in 2003, all of a sudden, the Ravens defense is the best in the league again. I said, like, you know, how, how did that happen so quickly? Well, I think it's the combination of, like you said, a guy like Calais Campbell, some leadership, some smart guys, football, high football IQ guys that are already still there. Um, Marlon, you still have the cupboards still loaded, like between Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters, who's incredibly intelligent and 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 every sense in terms of his football IQ, but if you just throw those guys together and then you look at the coaching as well. And I think that's a key is being able to maximize your, um, your, your personnel. And that's what Wink has done. And that's kind of also going back years ago with the Rex Ryan. That's what he did. Yeah. Uh, so when you have smart defensive coordinators as well, and you have enough talent, uh, you, you can, you can do some things defensively to mask, other holes or other, I guess, holes that you would think are more magnified with a yeah. loss of talent. I, I agree completely. I, I, I looked at the Ravens defensive coordinators and was trying to rank them from one to seven, do a little segment on it. And uh, it's very hard to do. I mean, I think Rex Ryan is number one, and I think Marvin Lewis is number two. Mm-hmm. And after that, it gets very dark. They've never had a truly bad defensive coordinator. Um, Madison is the guy who had He's the closest. shortest tenure, but, but he would be, and he would be closest. He was kind of a timider guy, but he wasn't bad. I mean, the defenses, those years were great. So it's really hard to peg him as being a, you know, a bad defensive yeah. coordinator. And then the other guys who were, who were here for a very short time got jobs like Pagano. Uh, Nolan was three years and then a head coach. And, you know, they had other guys that yeah. were in the succession plan who jumped out to be head coaches or defensive coordinators like Del Rio. Uh, Schwartz, did he come from here or is he just a Baltimore guy? Uh, from I think maybe just from his high school playing days. Jim Schwartz, um, yeah, I think he never actually. He was on the staff. I know when he came over, he did come over, but I don't think he ever had a prominent position on that staff. But uh, he was part of that incredible group of guys that came over from Cleveland. Which, if anybody listens, anybody listening to this pod, check out. I think it's what is it, ninety the ninety five Cleveland Browns story mm-hmm. that was done. By NFL, um, by NFL Network, um, a football life I think it was, mm-hmm. and they documented the the staff, the coaching staff, the front office. It was incredible the amount of talent they had on the, in that group. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's there's a pedigree here, and when you have good coaching, it makes a huge difference. This defense has been kind of blessed with it, but um, but they're, they're, the talent is there's still there's still a ton of talent on this defense. All right. Now, one other point I wanted to try and talk about for just a second here was the safety position is kind of a fortunate one for a team to be shorthanded on in this particular year. It is a very deep size and shape pool. There are a lot of people who either have already played safety in the NFL or they might like to extend their careers by playing safety or they might be good special teams player who's never really even got a chance to play safety, but maybe could like Brendan Trowick is a guy who comes to mind or Levine himself, you know, a few years ago mm-hmm. was certainly in this position. But if this were a lineman they needed, I'd say they'd have to do something right now to try and address the problem, try and find that guy right now who's going to address the offensive line in whatever way they need it done. Cause there've been so many opt outs. I'm afraid the season is going to start and depth is going to be looking like December in a typical year. Street. Depth. Yeah. Right. So maybe that also plays into the decision-making uh, again. Can they withstand this? There's a better chance. Um, you know, and, and that's a good thing. And they may not even, necess- they may not even have to turn outside of the organization at all. What, uh, I think they'll still bring in. I mean, from a depth standpoint, like you're, and then you, you look at can 
back to the pool being so deep, you have the fact not just cars out there. Tony Jefferson's been out there. I know he's mm-hmm. had a, I know the the injury factors um, a concern for him, and I don't know where he's at in terms of his recovery. But that's a good ball player. I mean, say what you want about his tenure here, but he's a definite. He's a guy that at minimum could be the first man up as a as a bench player for mm-hmm. a lot of teams. So that just I think speaks to to your point. There's there's good about a depth uh, across the league at safety, which is which is great, uh, which makes a big difference here. And maybe the Ravens uh, in that respect. You know, they've got their lines of communications out there. If, if the guys that they have in the room right now, the young guys in particular, for some reason or the other, just kind of can't get it done, they, they could still bring in. If they don't bring in Carr immediately, that's still an option that's there. And Jefferson's out there, too. So I think from that point of view, too, there there, there is a pool that's deeper, like you said, and, and they can turn to. One of the things about not going to the pool right away is the Ravens' likely desire to go cheap. Now, one of the things that shows up immediately is you have some cap savings, and all of a sudden, everybody on Twitter wants to spend it immediately. So you have a little bit of cap savings. Jadavian Clowney, Yannick. Yes, uh, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh, great, now we have the money. No, we don't. We we really don't. We still don't have the money to sign Yannick Ngakwe. I mean, I think I think the the uh, the Jaguars would trade him for very little right now. And I, I, I would try and I'd have difficulty pegging the exact amount because I think the Jaguars might be better off cutting him. But they 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 don't need as much as the compensatory pick they would receive a year hence. So the, if they got a pick right away, it's in 2021. If they wait on the compensatory pick, it might be in 2022 if they're on the right side of the formula. If they're on the wrong side of the formula, they get nothing. Okay, mm-hmm. if, they, if they sign more free agents and a team like that, that's going to have a lot of cap. They might well sign more free agents than they cut. And, you know, it's just it doesn't really make sense for them to keep him on the roster. If I were the Jaguars GM, I'd really have to think about cutting him at this point or it wouldn't be cutting. You'd be rescinding the tag before he signs it. So he's trying to make the team either either trade him and have him approve it or cut him. So it's really what he wants, but it might really be the best thing for the Jaguars organization. So if, if if anybody had the money to pay him and they just want this one year uh, rental, uh, they can pay a lot of money for him because it's really twenty twenty one dollars you're you're paying. Those are valuable dollars, and they could probably have him for a fifth or sixth round pick, I think, right now. Wow, you think so? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if it's Asian or someone who floated those second round That's <laughs> <crap>. rumors. <laughs> it seems like that fizzled out pretty quickly. Uh, I, I, if I'm Jacksonville, that's the only scenario where I would uh, feel good about a trade, right? You'd still want to get a high return, but uh, maybe they're, they're, they're kind of backed into a corner at this point. Mm-hmm. And to your point, um, that would be kind of... Um, That'd be pretty sad if they only got the fifth or sixth round pick for for him. But um, you couple, yeah. I mean, at that rate, you're you're better off holding off for a compensatory pick. They've been um, chasing down. Well, no, I I don't agree. And the, and the reason is that, and I, I don't normally do that to people, but but I just I, I, the the flip side of that, let me put it that way, is that the 17.8 million that they would save by rescinding that tag is worth a ton more than 17.8 million next year, and there'll be a lot of quality free agents flooding the market. Almost nobody's going to have free cap. I mean, a whole bunch of teams that thought they were going to have a lot of cap are going to have a lot less cap. And all of a sudden, you know, you have an opportunity to spend dollars that are worth more than they are today. And all the players who think they're going to get a, a you know a lucrative multi-year deal next year, they're going to be settling for less. I mean, every one of them, and it includes players, unfortunately, like Ronnie Stanley, who got just caught in the wrong timing with regard to COVID. Um, but it also includes players like Jadavian Clowney is not going to make any significant money. Yannick Ngakwe is going to have difficulty getting a, a, the contract of the size he thinks he really deserves next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, includes a lot of other players as well. So anyway. Yeah, we'll uh, see how this plays out. I mean, again, I think that's one way to look at it, that they get the, get the savings out of it. So just move on from that standpoint. And um, But then there's also the whole thing of you develop a player, he gets to a certain level. If you trade them, you want to get something per- – you want to get a high return on return in for him. Um, so I can see that side of it too, but uh, maybe they just need to move on. 
Yeah. Oh, it's a it's a it's a difficult organizational decision, and they've kind of chased the price down. So they may be at a point where, you know, they're going to have to pay some of his salary and then get a pick in return. So maybe you get a four, but mm-hmm. you have to pay seven million of his salary. And you know, all of a sudden, I don't really like that deal. Now I'm paying, you know, ten million for a for, or sorry, seven million for a fourth round draft pick, or I'm, you know, I'm only recouping ten million with a fourth round. It's just it's it's not as good. We see what Belichick did. That ought to be a model for the rest of the league, particularly of non-contending teams, to basically be willing to organize, orchestrate, you know, 17 million in in opt-outs of his own players. And, you know, this they, their opt-out list looks like nobody else's. They've got first of all, they got the most players at eight, and second of all, it's a bunch of key players. Yeah. You know, a lot of other teams have one key player, and then a bunch of rookies and and fringe players who are who are out there. But Belichick somehow has got eight of his guys. <laughs> to step away from football for a year and create 17 guys. million of cash. Oh, totally. yeah. Core defensive guys. They're, uh, yeah, Hightower being one of them. Chong, uh, Gan- Chong, Cannon. Yeah, Cannon. No, it's it's definitely there's a, definitely some shenanigans up uh, behind <laughs> behind that. But you're right. I mean, I guess <laughs> teams could follow that and kind of figure that part. I mean, he's always ahead of the curve though, but yeah. Yeah. He, he is always ahead, but it, the, the dollar amount that's involved in an Ngakwe rescission along with the dollar amount that he was able to push for it are so similar. Somebody in the Jacksonville front office should have caught on by now. And, and maybe they have, and they just know that we're not going to allow this guy to sign the contract. If he comes in, we're telling him we're, we're rescinding it. Yeah. yeah. Very well. Could be that. <laughs> All right, let's let's go on and get back to safety here because I love having these conversations with you, but we, we need to we need to kind of roll it together. Other positional groups impacted. We kind of hit on a little bit in terms of the linebackers to start with, but mm-hmm. there's a lot more responsibility that should go to that inside linebacker group in terms of coverage um, because of not having Earl Thomas behind them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I think we we I. I touched on it a bit, and I know we were going to have a dedicated time to talk about it. I, I really feel strongly that they're better equipped for this uh, than they were last season. And I know Fort, for the sake of it, I think is pretty adept at being able to play in space. I think they kind of were a bit more restrained or restricted by Bynes. I think Josh Bynes is a smart guy. He'll play where he, you know, he's gonna, he's not gonna make too many mistakes. He's gonna, he's gonna make the right. Uh, reads and, and he's going to have the right keys but there were times in coverage last year where he was exposed um, just kind of being isolated um, so it, it's something that now all of a sudden on paper at least if you have queen on the field he's got incredible physical ability to, in the range and he was great in coverage in college is not going to translate to the pros the biggest hurdle always for young guys is just understanding what they're seeing and playing their assignments properly and not getting confused. And that's a lot of, um, a lot to decipher. And I know I get that. And can they get the playbook down? Um, can they understand offenses, NFL offenses? So that's still a huge learning curve, but if it works out, I do think to your point, I think they, they will be putting more on the linebackers and coverage. And I think they'll be able to, to actually step up and, and do it, especially I think with Fort in particular, um, I think very underrated in how he handled himself in coverage. He was really good in space yeah. that I thought really was kind of under the radar. I, I You know, honestly, I would have said the same thing about Bynes. Obviously, he had two picks last year. Both of them were really good. Um, understand where the football is going picks. One of them was uh-huh. on, a, on a lofted flotation device over by that left sideline in the very first game he played. I guess it was Pittsburgh. The other one was on a throwback across the middle that Deshaun Watson. Sorry, no, what am I talking about? Watson. No, that Houston. was it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, that was and, a good uh, one too. He was again in the right spot. Just kind of came to him. <laughs> but yeah, no, Watson got, I think, flushed out and and threw the ball back, back to the middle of the field. And you're never supposed to do that. But he had an awful game. Um, no, you're right. I think Bynes was still. A, you know, um, competent and he could get it done. Now I think it's kind of an intriguing scenario because I think physically, at least I keep harping on it, but the talent is, it's like an infusion of range and speed. 
and can you help kind of offset some of the things that you might have had to account for with Earl Thomas having to cover uh, more ground, I think. And, and I think there, that's another way to look at it is you have linebackers who can run and that's going to help you potentially um, to not necessarily have as much um, ground to cover. Yeah, it's, that is a it's a key component. The, the thing about Kenny Young, who is probably the more similar one to um, Queen in terms of being more of a speed player, but also a big downhill player, obviously, was that he and Owasso, both of them, had no idea what was going on behind yeah. them in the passing game. Right. And, and that's something where, where Queen, it's going to take time for that to develop at the, end, at the NFL level. It took Mosley a little bit of time to develop yeah. it. Totally. Queen has no, almost no college experience at the position, very little total play at inside linebacker in college. Yeah, exactly. No, and that's totally fair. And I think the it might be lofty to kind of expect him to step in and just kind of take it on. And, and I think that's why you have a guy like Fort and it helps. You also have Levine. So you have some some guys that can, you know, Chuck Clark, Levine. You rotate the, the dime position and you have um, some mixing and matching, matching you can do with keeping just one linebacker on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that might need to happen. Uh, but if they, I think the other side of it is that if Queen is able to pick it up quickly, and you kind of give him some snaps, some some I think strategic snaps, see how he does. You hope that maybe that that gives them uh, again between the two of them, between Fort and Queen. I do think um, they've got a lot to work with. Um, I know Harrison's also in this equation, but. Uh, I know Harbaugh talked about that. He's encouraged with his coverage ability, and actually, he's he's actually got some good speed, um, footwork. It's just that I know he said that Ohio State's complex, but not NFL complex when it comes to their coverages and the things they ask of their linebackers. That could, that could well be a pointed remark. It, it doesn't really sound salty, but it sounds kind of like um, a level setting, like he's trying yeah, to set an expectation so. for. Him. Yep, I think it's like, hey, we. It's pushing him, right? Like I think he's headed in the right he's headed in the right direction, but there's going to be quite a bit of work to do. I have to wonder if this particular loss isn't going to cost Malik Harrison snaps, and you hit on it in a couple different ways here. One is, you know, if there's a question about a question about his range, particularly in terms of how far back he can take a a, a tight end or a slot receiver or whatever it might be, that would be one issue with it. Obviously, the recognition issue is another big one in terms of making sure that middle of the field just doesn't get peppered with targets to opposing tight ends and slot receivers. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a it, it does you know raise the question of do the Ravens need to increase their expectation of playing dime snaps again this year? I think it does. I think it definitely does. I think you're just gravitating towards that more just to have better um, overall coverage ability. Yeah. And another thing that just came to mind as uh, you were thinking, you were talking about peppering the middle of the field uh, is that Earl Thomas did a, because of his um, instincts and his willingness to shoot, I guess just kind of um, just kind of uh, undercut routes and, and kind of just go for it. They're, they're losing that. They've also mm-hmm. lost that. I think they, they can gain some of that back. Um, but that that tendency to do that in the middle of the field in particular, that's a deterrent uh, for quarterbacks. And oh, yeah. all of a sudden, I think they lose that. And, and that's like probably one of the more underrated aspects of of, of his um, loss in the, de- in the defense. So um, to, I guess, kind of circle back to would Harrison be the one that loses the most out of it? Uh, it's quite possible because they may want to play it safe and just kind of bottle up their their inside routes and inside route uh, coverages um and not get exposed yeah i i mean i think that that probably is going to end up what's what's going to be happening I, I from the early reports of queen it doesn't sound like the ravens are going to try and depend on him as the signal caller anytime soon i mean there's talk about that you know maybe it would make sense for a linebacker to have it all things being equal but harbaugh also couched it very well to say clark had done so well in the role he didn't really expect it to shift the question comes up is what if Clark gets hurt? Who's the next signal caller? And I got my guy. Um, I think it's Elliot. That's interesting. Wow. Uh, so that 
Yeah, that would be that would be a pretty significant response, uh, you know, responsibility for him. But he's getting that anyway at this point. Um, what uh, what kind of brought you to that um, thought process? Yeah. Okay, so there's, there's only four positions that can have the have the green dot. So you have to, you have to be one of the two inside linebackers or one of the two safeties on the field all the time because you have to be on the field all the time. Right. And the Ravens, if they – the only other guy they could play on the field all the time is Ford, I think, realistically. It's not going to be Harrison. We're already kind of saying in this discussion that we don't think it's going to be Queen. So mm-hmm. that if, if you give all those snaps to Fort, your young linebackers aren't going to get a lot of time. So I don't think they would do that. You know, they're going to end up playing 1.6 inside linebacker snaps per play, maybe even slightly less than that. If you give one of those to Fort, think of it that way, then you've only got 30% of the snaps for each of your first-round draft pick and your third-round draft pick, which seems a little unlikely and light. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I agree. That, uh, yeah, that that rationale makes sense. And so you, you'd have you'd have Elliot at free safety, which is the reason not to give it to him. But if Clark was injured, then I think Elliot. You know, I, I don't even want to think about it. But Elliot might have to be the guy to have to move up and play dime. No, that doesn't really make sense. You'd ha- if you had a free safety who was working, you wouldn't mess up two positions like that. So I think it, you'd, you'd basically be go, doing what they did with Weddle in 2017 and whatnot, they, that they used him as a defensive signal caller from free safety. Not optimal, but you know better than your other alternatives. That's could what also, said, yeah. Could also be Geno Stone, I suppose. It could be. It seems like a lot of responsibility for, <laughs> for two guys that, in the case of Elliott, who hasn't been able to stay on the field and then the other guy being a rookie, but that's kind of where we're at right now. Well, you, you know, you, most people didn't have it going to Clark and I really that's had him pegged true. as the next guy before I really knew anything about his intellect. It just was the only one that made sense based on snaps on the field. That's uh, true. That is true. And he was able to obviously flourish in that scenario. So you just never know. And I think the positive that we can take from it is that all, again, all of these, uh, those two guys, Elliot, and Stone, they have high football IQ. That's yeah, that's a very positive thing. You know, Elliot was. I I didn't really like the whole player council this thing last year, the, particularly the one on defense, because I thought it was a lot of players who were not necessarily the best players on defense. Like Owasso was on it to start the season, and Judon was on it, and Jefferson and Levine. Okay, so Levine kind of lost his role, and Jefferson got hurt, but wasn't playing that well, and and you had a you know. A variety of things happening to this council. And then the two guys who are waiting for their spot on the council, I think it was Humphrey and Elliot were the two players. Who were, who were, I'm like, those make sense. How <laughs> come yeah. on these other cases? No. All right. Let that go. Application pending was what they put in the preseason. <laughs> thanks. Dev, thanks so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to talk football with you. We always get a little tangential in terms of what we're doing, but we really do love having you on the show. We're going to have you on at least a couple times, I hope, for uh, offensive and defensive reviews during the season. Yeah, absolutely. I, I plan on it. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. It's always great talking football with you. This is a, actually a really important and, and great topic, so I, I appreciate you having me on to talk about it because uh, I don't think there's too many short answers at this point. So it's a lot of good um, ex, you know, kind of personnel discussion and who can play mix and match. So I, I, I always enjoy that. Lots, lots of fun. Well, Dev, let's let's get your plugs out of the way. Your Twitter handle is it's at Dev Panchois, um, and you know I'm pretty I'm pretty active. I've been tweeting a lot about this topic, as you said. Don't want to get too much into the um, don't want to get too much into the, the actual locker room, um, off the field stuff with this move. But if people want my thoughts on it. Uh, they could certainly check my Twitter account, and I'm very outspoken about it. And I think, and also just noting that this is something I, I'm not totally shocked by at all. Uh, I think it's kind of brewing for a while. Um, so yeah, please check that out. If you have any questions, feel free to drop questions, and I can I can help answer them the best I uh, I can. I can just say I've known Dev for about as long as I've known anyone in the football circles in Baltimore. I met yeah. you in 2006, I think. And, you know, it's, it's been a pleasure this whole time. You're always somebody that I want to interact with on Twitter. If you're not following Dev, you're making a big mistake. Just, just 
go ahead and get that taken care of uh, after you hear this pod. Uh, and uh, we really appreciate you being on the show. We'll look for your work on RSR, of course. Other people out there, if you want to be on a film study short, I want to be as inclusive as possible. Love having new people on, particularly if you've got a topic. DM me on Twitter, two or three bullet points or two or three sentences on what you want to talk about. Usually we turn these around very quickly. The most timely and the most focused topics kind of go first. So love to hear from you. And uh, Dev, thanks again for being here. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. All right. Talk to you next time on Film Study. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.